was very generous and very flattering. I, I thank God for James Miller and James and Erica, and I'm sure you are like me that have received so much blessing and so much um, just ministry from their hearts. Um, you guys are kind of catching me in the middle of a series. If you know, if you've been around Kirby, you know that kind of for the last uh, couple weeks on Wednesday nights, we've been doing a series on community. But you guys are kind of catching in the, us in the middle of that because we're already four weeks into it. But that's okay. We're going to catch you up to speed. Um, but before we do that, uh, I feel obligated to give you a little bit of an update into the Uganda trip. All right? Hope that's okay with you. Um, the problem is most of you probably know more about the Uganda trip than I do because um, I'm not on Facebook or anything. But anyway, I got a couple pictures. All right, there's uh, the Uganda trip's going well. There's, uh, there's uh, Pastor Mike. He's dancing with the, uh, with the children there. Um, it's pretty exciting. I haven't seen him dance in a while. And there's he is speaking to the pastors. Um, everything's going really well. The team just has a great sense of unity about them. They're actually on, their pla- on the plane or at the airport heading back right now. Um, there's, uh, they're, they're speaking and singing songs, and you can see Ruth Ann and Carly and Julie and Liz and some of them. And so far, it just seems like a great trip. Uh, there's Joe. If you know Joe, uh, had a little bit of malaria. Um, <laughs> um, but thankfully, he's on a missions trip with a bunch of nurses and doctors. So he was actually pretty well taken care of. They caught it pretty quick. Um, and as far as I know, he's back to full health. So he's doing pretty well. I, I'm not sure why everyone's smiling while Joe's sick. But, <laughs> but yeah. So thank you guys so much for your prayers. Um, I'm sure that you guys will hear more stories and more good news about what's going on in Uganda. So again, we're in the story of community. We're talking about the early church this week, all right? We, we kind of partitioned it up into different sections. We had uh, creation um, and how that should inform what, how we relate together in the church. Then we had the story of Israel and the law and how that should relate and how, should that, and how that should inform uh, what's going on in the church. Then we talked about Jesus on Wednesday night. This week we're talking about the early church and how the early church and what they can teach us about the nature of our relationships in the church today. All right? Um, And so the way I'd like to kind of just get our imagination going this morning is, um, what if Joe and my dad and Clayton and all of them just stay where they're at, they don't come back, they're just like, man, I just love malaria and Africa so much that I'm just going to stay here, Um, and they stay there, and, and, and what if you and I have to become pastors, Okay. All right, uh, just, just imagine, go, go there with me, okay? I'm not sure if you've ever thought of that or if you ever wanted to be a pastor, okay? But just kind of imagine with me, what if you were a pastor? What would the church of Gerard Memoring look like, you know? What would Dave Hammer Baptist Church look like, or whatever denomination you want? But what would your church look like, okay? What would you, I mean, a lot of people kind of get caught up in names, you know, because they kind of think of like a, a name kind of signifies and says a lot of what that ministry would be, Right? So Dave Hammer, Church of God, would be, you know, a lot of Michigan-themed things or something, or, you know, would be a lot of Ohio State banners, right? No, no. Um, I actually, um, and so maybe you came to Kirby Church and you saw the name, and, and I have to apologize if any of you are disappointed that we didn't have any vacuums for sale. Um, we, we're out of stock. I'm sorry. We're, we'll get a new shipment next week, right? Um, I actually have my list of worst church names that I've ever seen. Is that okay if I, if I give you these? Blake's top five. Uh, David Letterman style, he, he does a top ten, but I'm not as good as him. He's, he's got a legacy to uphold. Um, Blake Trimble's top five funniest slash worst church names, all right? Is that okay if we kind of go through these real quick to kind of start off, all right? Number one, or I'm, I'm sorry, number five, re- making it into the top ten, top five, Hellhole Baptist Church. 
from Port Allen, Louisiana. Not, not sure what they were trying to communicate there or what, what the message would be for that church. All right. All right, number four, Little Hope Baptist Church. It's uh, somewhere in Arkansas. Little, they have some hope. They got a little bit. You know, they, you're not going to be totally hopeless if you go to this church. You get a little bit of hope, right? Uh, number three, I'm not sure. They went a different way. Run for your life, International Chapel. I don't know where that's at. Run for, I don't know, they're communicating something. I'm sure God loves and does good things with their church. Number two, number two, Sp- first Spanish free Methodist church. Um, if you go here, you're not allowed to speak Spanish. No, no Spanish allowed. Just, just if, if you come to speak Spanish, just leave it at the, I know that's not what that means, but it's my joke, it's my list. Work with me, okay? Come on. All right. Uh, They're in Pennsylvania. All right, making it into number one, boring United Methodist Church. But they didn't put United Methodist, they just put um. So it's boring um, church. (laughs) So so you're going to have a great time if you go there. Actually, I think we have a grand, like, like make it in the, the, the finalist, the big, final, worst, funniest church name in history. Can we have the First Baptist Church of Trimble? Just, just. Who knows what's going to happen there? Just, just stay away from First Baptist Church of Trimble, all right? If you don't know, Trimble is the last name of our senior pastor. Um, it also happens to me on my last name, so the joke's, joke's kind of on me, I suppose, all right? But, if, I mean, if you were a pastor, hopefully, hopefully your first, like, what would kind of capture your first brainstorming session wouldn't be, all right, what do we name this place, all right? Hopefully we're not that naive to be like, all right, we got to really get this name down. A lot, a lot of churches are super obsessed with names, okay? Obviously not these ones. They didn't put a whole lot of thought into those. But, I mean, hopefully that wouldn't be, like, your first go-to of, like, all right, we got to get a good name, and hopefully your first go-to wouldn't be, all right, we got to get a really nice building, we got to get a good band, you know. A lot of these things really dominate kind of the psyche of churches in America today. Could, could you kind of agree with me there? That kind of really saturates our thinking of what it is to be a church or what a church looks like. You know, we think of names and we think of buildings and we think of, you know, music and we think of a guy coming up to speak, okay. If, if you were a pastor, okay, if tomorrow, your new call in life, it was just clear as day, all right, Stanfield, you are a pastor tomorrow, all right? I mean, where would you start, all right? Hopefully, you would start, you know, with, with the right tools, right? Hopefully, you would start with this story, okay? If you were here last week, you kind of heard about how our founding pastor started our church, Right? And really, that was kind of the sermon I always wanted to to speak here at Kirby Church, because we have an amazing legacy here at Kirby Church, amen? Amen. We just... just, had a homegoing service. I mean, Brother, Brother Varney was, uh, went home to be with his, his Savior uh, not too long ago, and I would ask that you still be in prayer for the family. And he was an amazing man. He was a hero of mine, just a godly, godly man, knew his Bible better than anyone I know. And, and he founded this church upon this story. So, so if you were a pastor, I hope you wouldn't go directly to names or to, to buildings or to you know, a band. Hopefully you would be like, all right, what does this book say? What is the story that we're going to be telling to the world based on this, right? Hopefully that's where you would go to. And we saw last week in the video that that was, I mean, that's the basis of our church, right? That's the basis of who we are, is, is this book. And last week we, we kind of went to one verse in particular, and, um, and if you've been around church long enough, it's called the Great Commission. It was kind of Jesus' last, like, all right, this is it. You know, as I'm about to leave you, 
go do this. He says, go and make disciples. And if you saw the video last week, you know, my father said over and over again, this is what, I mean, this is, the, this is our bread and butter. Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I mean, that's, that's the core of who we are, right? And as I was kind of praying about, you know, what to talk about this week, he had actually asked me to speak about something totally different. <laughs> um, but I texted him while I was in Africa. And I was like, Dad, I feel like we really need to kind of get into the juice and the heart of what this is saying. I feel like we really need to kind of open this up and track this out in, 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 in a more revealing and in-depth way. And I texted him. He's like, yeah, 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 go with that. Do that. Yeah, 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 go do that. All right. And as I was praying this over this, I felt like the Holy Spirit was kind of directing us to be able to hear these words in a fresh way, in a fresh and more revealing way, not something new and trendy and chic, but fresh in the way that they were originally meant to be heard, and the way that they were meant to be heard originally. And in order to get at that, in order to get at the context of Matthew 28, I really believe that the original setting for Matthew 28 is really the whole grand story of Scripture. We need to hear this in its proper context, and that context really is the whole unfolding mission of God in the world, the whole story. And so as we start this off this morning, what I'd like to do is actually walk us through the whole story of Scripture, if that's okay. It should just take a few moments, right? So just bear with me. Hang on tight. I'm going to try and move quickly. I'm going to hopefully we can follow it along in the PowerPoint I made super fast. Um, But we just need, we need to hear this in its proper context. And the proper context of Matthew 28 is really the whole unfolding book of, of, I mean, everything that's in here. A lot of times we think of Matthew 28 as this like, all right, this Jesus gave something really new after his resurrection. He just, you know, he just, he just kind of thought it out of nowhere. No, no, no. Jesus is revealing the heart of God and what God's heart was for his people from the beginning. Jesus is revealing the character and the mission of God that God had already started long ago. Jesus is actually revealing to his disciples a very old thing. And so in order to get at that, we need to go through the whole of scripture. All right, so hang on tight. So here we go, Holy Scripture. So we begin with creation. We find in creation that God created a good world. He called it good. It, it pleased him. And we see in the book of Genesis that God desires for this world to be blessed. And God makes human beings, you and I, to participate with God in the blessing of his creation. God makes a good world, desires for it to be blessed creates us to participate with God in the blessing of his creation. But obviously something goes wrong, right? Adam and Eve eat the fruit. Sin enters into the world. Cain murders Abel. Violence and injustice spread across the face of the globe. And so there's a problem. God made a world that he desired to be blessed, but now part of the character and nature of this world is cursed. Part of the character of this world is that it rejects and rebels against God's desire for it to be blessed. But God loves the world, desires blessing for the world, and so he will not let it sit as it is. And so he decides to act. And so in the book of Genesis, chapter 19, we see God calling out a people for himself to carry out his original mission. He calls out a man named Abraham, and he says, um, back, back, back. Go, go. There we go. He says that you will, your name will be great. 
and that your descendants and through your family, I will give blessing into the world. That all the nations through you and your children will be blessed. Part of God's mission all along was to call out a people for himself so that through them he could bless the world. And hopefully that can help us understand a little bit better the story of Israel. You know, the story of Israel is not about God ignoring creation, ignoring all the other nations, and setting up a cozy little place for his people so they could do whatever they want. No, God's purpose for Israel, we see it in Exodus 19, that they would be a kingdom of priests, a holy people. They were always meant to be a nation on display. You see, in the ancient world, priests were those who mediated between God and the people. They were those through which God would extend his blessing to the people, through which God would bless and extend his favor and abundance and really his own presence to the world. But obviously, if you know the story, Israel kind of fails most of the time in that mission. And a good example of this is King Solomon. You know, King Solomon was the second king of Israel. He was the son of David, and his name actually means king of peace. In the beginning of part of his reign, that was pretty appropriate. There's accounts, uh, even not just in the Bible, but in ancient manuscripts of, of kings from all of the world, all of the known world, sending emissaries and ambassadors to King Solomon just to hear his teaching and his wisdom and to be able to receive instruction from Israel's God. So we can see how in that moment, Israel is fulfilling its purpose. See how in that moment, Solomon is being used by God to extend blessing to the rest of creation. Can we see that? But towards the latter part of Solomon's reign, things take a bad turn. And instead of bringing blessing to the world, he brings more curse and more violence and more injustice. And Solomon, he takes on hundreds of wives from other nations and he follows after other gods and he actually mimics Pharaoh in enslaving the population so they could build his palaces and his monuments. And he seeks after other gods. And the story of Israel after Solomon is a tragic story of king after king and violence and civil war and king after king rejecting and rebelling against God's mission and prophet after prophet saying, remember who you are. Remember what you were called to be. Remember that you were called to be a blessing. That you were supposed to be an extension of God's own self in the world, not to bring more curse and injustice and, and violence. That you were called to be a blessing, that you were called to be a peculiar people an extension of God's own self. And that's the context in which we need to read the Gospels. That's the context in which we need to read Matthew chapter 28, because it's during the time of the prophets, shortly afterwards, that we get Jesus. Jesus comes on the scene. In the beginning of the book of Matthew, right before, you know, the Christmas story that we read every, every uh, December, it says... Um, our first real formal introduction to Jesus is a genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That's Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, the first uh, verse of the New Testament. And a lot of times we just skip over this kind of genealogy so that we can get right to the story of Christmas because that's more fun, that's more exciting. You know, we can sing songs about that, right? But Matthew and the writer of the gospel is cluing us into, wait, 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 before you get to the exciting you know, virgin birth and the story of, of, of Christmas, we first got to acknowledge what story Jesus is coming from. And by linking da uh, Jesus to David and linking Jesus to Abraham, he's saying this is the legacy and the story that Jesus is coming from. 
And we see through the gospels, through Jesus' healing and through Jesus' teaching and the way he treated the poor and the broken and the widow and the oppressed and the outsider and surely through his resurrection and his death on a cross that Jesus fulfills uh, the purpose of Israel. Jesus fulfills uh, Israel's mission. Jesus fulfills the call of all human beings. He's a true Israelite. He does what Abraham's descendants were meant to do always. He participates with God in the blessing of his world. He participates with God in the blessing of his world. So we have to catch, we have to catch and, and connect Jesus to Israel. And this is the delight in which we would have understood, the, the, the early church followers and the disciples would have understood Matthew chapter 28. When it says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you, even until the end of the age. And we kind of see, even in just those few words, the connection that Jesus is making to the story of Israel. It's, it's kind of in the go. It's, it's kind of in the word go. He's saying, you know, get out there. Be an extension of myself. That's what being a disciple means, right? But so often we, we, we kind of imagine these words as, you know, you know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get together with the other Christians and try and get the world to come to us, you know, through our promotion methods and through our events. We're, we're, we can kind of try and draw them into us, but Jesus is always saying go because that's what the heart of God always was. It was never meant to isolate his people away from the world so they could be safe and cozy. It was always meant for them to be on display, an extension of himself. So let's go back to my original question. Um, if you were a pastor, where would you start? What would you do? Hopefully, you would be grounded in this, right? Hopefully, you would lead your people in, in this book and in the story unfolding of the magnificent call of all human beings to participate with God, to be an extension of God's self, to go and make disciples, to bring the authority of Jesus Christ, the new reign of God into the here and now. Hopefully, that would be what moved your community. But so much of our churches is just about comparing one another. Because if, if you had to start a church tomorrow, what I would imagine what you would do is what most pastors do in America. Instead of, you know, getting rooted solely in that story and in that book, they, they, we compare ourselves with other churches and say, I like what they're doing, I don't like what they're doing, and we'd kind of have a list of, you know, of what we've seen before and say, all right, that's probably what my church is going to look like based on what they did and what they didn't do, and, and that's what we're going to look like. Instead of being rooted and grounded and driven and compelled by this gospel. You know, if, if we were just to base our community on this story, and we try to try to kind of block out all the lessons that we've been taught from American Christianity, and just solely like, what does this say about me? What does this say about what we should be doing? And we understood the call of Christ and the, and the mission of God from the beginning. I think one of the last things that I would think about is a gathering. I think one of the last things I would think about is, hey, let's, let's organize a gathering. I think if I read this book fully and really digested it and let it compel me, I think I would think, man, I'm on a mission. 
I have a call of God on my life that I share with my brothers and sisters, and I, I, I have to go. I'm on a mission. But so much of our understanding and our, our imagination of what the church is is, is is driven by gatherings. And, you know, that's in the Bible. But that doesn't seem to me to be the main theme. It doesn't seem to be the main you know, impulse. Is, let's get a gathering. Let's all get together. It, it, it seems to be ascending out, right? Let's go. Let's go make disciples. And following Jesus, giving up the Great Commission and his ascension, we see the early church, and they don't take it that way either, right? I mean, you read the early church, and you're not like, man, look at the way that they did really good gatherings and church services. You look at the early church, it's like, look how they went. Look where they went. Look how they went out and made disciples. I mean, I love reading the accounts of their community. Like in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and, all, and held all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing them to, for their proceeds to all uh, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added by day, day by day, their numbers who were being saved. And I love in Acts chapter 4 where they continue and they say, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that anything that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. And there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. And we get that sense and we read the early church and we're like, man, wouldn't it be incredible to be a part of something like that? Wouldn't it be amazing to be a part of a community, especially here in America when we're so consumed with stuff and things and possessions? Wouldn't it be amazing to be a part of a community that just said, I'll just give it away. If people need it here, they can, they can have it. But it's not like the apostles got together and said, hey, let's learn how to do church together. It's not like they got together and said, hey, let's, let's learn how to do community. It's not like they got together and said, hey, let's learn how to practice fellowship. No, they responded this way to the mission of God because they saw a man rise from the dead. They saw a man rise from the dead, and they saw this man teach people, and they saw this man love the outcasts and the criminals and the broken and the widows. They saw this man heal and raise people from the dead, and they saw this man be tortured and executed on a cross, and then they saw this man walking around and teaching and loving people and eating with people, and they saw this man ascend to heaven, and he said, go, make disciples, be an extension of myself, and in and, and that response, they said, I don't care about my stuff, I'll sell it, I'll give it away. I don't care about this stuff because he told me to go and so I'm going to go. They just went. I don't care about my stuff. I saw a man living and I saw him die but now he's alive. So whatever he says I'm going to do. I saw him dead. I saw him die for me. I saw him forgive people from the cross that they nailed him to. So I'm going to go and do whatever he says. I'm going to go. It, it's, it's radical, 
it's impressive. It's, I mean, it's amazing to read about. But when you understand the story unfolding from Scripture, to me, it, it, it kind of makes sense. It kind of makes sense. When I look at, you know, the unfolding narrative of Scripture, it kind of makes sense. You know, it's radical. It's kind of crazy. I'll be honest. But, but when I look at what they're coming from and the life that they live with Jesus Christ, it kind of makes sense. But what wouldn't make sense to me is after they saw a man die, and they saw a man walking around that they saw die, and they saw this man say to them, hey, go make disciples, you know, be an extension of myself, extend my authority across creation. After they saw that happen, what wouldn't make sense to me is if they said, hey, let's, uh, let's get our money together, and let's get a building, and let's meet together. Once a week? Yeah, once a week. Is Sunday good for you? Yeah, Sunday's good for me. And they, they see each other once a week and they say, hey, man, how you doing? I'm, I'm good. I'm fine. How you doing? I'm good, good. It's a good week. Want to go eat afterwards? No, I'm going to go watch the game. Okay, cool. I'll see you next week. I mean, if that was what you read in the book of Acts, if that was what unfolded after the gospel... After the gospel of Jesus Christ and the amazing ministry that we saw Jesus have, the death that he had on the cross and the resurrection that he had, that he proved to over 500 people, if that's what we saw as the response of the early church, you'd be like, shut up, man. Shut up. Shut up, man. You're crazy. You didn't see someone rise from the dead. You, didn't, you don't know anybody that healed someone in front of your eyes. You didn't see someone rise from the dead. You're crazy. Shut up, man. I don't believe you. If that's what you saw in the book of Acts, you wouldn't believe it. You'd be like, that's crazy. That's crazy. But thank God that's, not what, we, that's what we don't see in the book of Acts, amen? That's what we don't see. We don't see that from the early church Christians. I mean, in the span of a few centuries, the response of the early church Christians radically transformed the ancient world. I mean, the early church Christians would go into the sewers of ancient Rome and find discarded babies that people had rejected and laid to waste in the sewers to die. They would find abandoned kids and take them and care for them as their own. The early church Christians started effective nursing services to care for widows, homeless, the elderly. The early church Christians, before they actually eradicated slavery in ancient Rome, not many people know that, but before they did that, they would actually sell themselves into slavery to teach the good news to slaves. That was the response of the early church. And in the span of a few centuries, their legacy transformed the ancient world. The ancient world in Rome was a brutal place. If you lived in that time, odds are you were a slave, just by percentages. It was, a, it was a brutal, violent, oppressive place, a, a, a period of anxiety and fear where only a very, very, very small percentage of people had freedom or power. Women were treated like lesser beings. And it's into that community, into that period that Christianity breathed into them a new way of seeing life. And in his book, The Rise of Christianity, Rodney Stark, who's he's one of the leading uh, uh, Scholars on the early church says this, 
To cities, you might not be able to read it, so I'm going to read it for you. To cities filled with the homeless and the impoverished, Christianity offered charity as well as hope. To cities filled with newcomers and strangers, Christianity offered an immediate basis for attachment. To cities filled with orphans and widows, Christianity provided a new and expanded sense of family. To cities torn by violent and ethnic strife, Christianity offered a new basis for social solidarity. And to cities faced with epidemics, fires, and earthquakes, Christianity offered effective nursing services. That was their response. The early church Christians saw the curse and brokenness of their world and answered with blessing and life. They embodied the story of God's mission in the world, the, the story that they had received from Jesus Christ, their Savior. And in their embodying of Jesus Christ's mission, this is where we kind of get the idea of a temple. The Apostle Paul called the early church Christians. They said, you are a temple of God. If Paul was here today, he would say, Kirby Church, you are a temple of God. You are, you are one of the homes of God. And in the ancient world, a temple... A temple was a place that people went to to find out what God was like. And so let's say you could travel back in time and say with that power you went to the, the city of Ephesus, right? The city of Ephesus was one of the, the, the centers of the ancient world. And let's say you bumped up into a random person on the street and said, hey, I want to know what your God's like. What they would probably do is say, okay, I'll take you to the temple, and in the city of Ephesus, it would probably be the temple of Artemis. And this temple was massive. It was over 400 feet long. It was nearly 200 feet wide, over 70 feet tall. It was gilded in gold. It was one of the wonders of the ancient world. It was an impressive, magnificent, just majestic, wealthy, extravagant display to the strength and power and glory of the god Artemis. But if you were to bump into a Christian... And ask them that same question. Hey, I want to know what your God's like. They would respond to you and say, all right, I'll show you a temple. But that temple is not a building. It's a group of people. Watch how we eat differently. Watch how we spend money differently. See how slave and slave owner are calling themselves brother and sister and friends. See how Jews and Gentiles, enemies, are being reconciled and they're eating meals together and enjoying a good time together. See how the widow and the elderly and the sick are being cared for. See how the boundaries between male and female, between Jew and Gentile, between the poor and the rich, see how those boundaries are being eradicated. That's what God's like. That's what our God is like. They embodied God's mission in the world to be blessings to all people. And in the midst of that violent, oppressive empire in Rome, the people saw that and they came to them in droves. They saw this new way of life and they just flocked to them. But it's not because of massive stadium tours by the apostle or huge events that were promoted by, by, by the disciples. No, they saw a new way of seeing the world. They presented an alternative. They said, amongst this violence and distress and fear, we are going to breathe a new way of being, compelled by God and his mission in the world for his people to be blessed and for his people to go out and be a blessing. So if Kirby Church is a temple of God, 
and they came here. And they looked amongst us, and they said, we want to know what your God's like. What would they say? Would they see God's mission in the world embodied in our community? Would they see us participating with God and extending his blessing and favor into the world? Would they see the love and the unity and the the care that the early church had for each other? Would they see that amongst us? Or would they look at us and be like, shut up, man. You guys don't know anybody that rose from the dead. You guys don't know a healer. You guys don't know the savior of the world. Would that be their response? I hope not. Let's pray. Lord God, our maker, who breathed into Adam the breath of life and who is still breathing on us our purpose, our calling, our mission in the world, God, come and be with us. Come and minister to us a new, fresh way of understanding what our call is in this world. God, may we not be content just to sit by side, sit side by side on Sunday mornings. God, may we not be content just to look at a screen and listen to a man speak. God, may we seek after no less than your purposes for us in this world. To be actively engaged in your blessing and your authority in creation. To go out and participate with you in your purposes. To be able to find out what making disciples looks like. Because if we're honest with ourselves, what the early church describes as making disciples doesn't really match up with the American church. It doesn't match up. It doesn't make sense what we got this from. Let's look a little deeper into these pages and let's see what God has us for, what God made the church for, what he's pushing us towards. May we be compelled by the love, the love of Jesus Christ, the love that God had for the world so much so that he sent his son to die for us. I don't want it to be said of our community or any church, come on, man, I don't believe you. You don't know someone that rose from the dead. I mean, why would you ever want that to be said of this place? So how can we be active in pursuing and making disciples? Jesus said, you will know, they will know that you are my disciples by your love. They will know that you are my disciples by how you love one another. So how are we loving each other? I mean, I don't see a lot of love in just, you know, inviting people to dinner and just sitting side by side, you know. And I know there's people in this church that embody love in better ways, you know. So how can we do that together? How can we participate in the love of God together so that they will know that we are Jesus' disciples? So as you guys stand across the room, we're going to return to a time of worship. And during this time, I hope you feel the freedom to ask God 
you know, to feel the Holy Spirit moving in our own hearts to say, what am I missing? You know, I want to participate in your life, God, the way that the early church did. I want to radically transform the society around me the way that the early church did. And if we can learn anything from what Jesus says, you know, they will know you're my disciples by how you love. It has to start with our love. It has to start with our love for each other and our love for this world and our love for God's purposes. Maybe some of us don't know that love because we don't know the love of the Father. And so I would ask during this time that you would let yourself be overwhelmed by the love of God and to allow that love to move amongst your hearts and pour out into a love for your brothers and sisters in this place so that Kirby Church can be a home of God, a temple of God that people come and see this is what God is like.